Hey, welcome to Scratching the Surface. I'm Jarrett Fuller, and this is a podcast about design as social practice. Alice Grenois, New Gautier, and Marquis Stilwell are the co-founders of Deem, a brand new design journal that attempts to reframe design as a social practice. Their first issue, which was released this summer, centered around the theme of designing for dignity and featured a fascinating range of stories, interviews, and profiles of practitioners who are both inside and outside what we might traditionally think of as design. Spending time with the journal, I felt like the work they were doing here was so similar to the work that I'm trying to do with this show. They are trying to expand our definitions of design. They want to bring more people into the conversation and make the case that all of us, every single human, designs. So in this episode, I have a a really interesting conversation with Alice New and Marquise about Deem, about their goals and editorial philosophy, about why making a printed journal is in and of itself a political act, and how they want to reframe design, bringing people into the conversation who have so often been left out of it. We also talk about how design as a field has been used to exclude, but also how it can be used to bring people together. All three of them also have independent practices working across design and content and strategy and filmmaking. So we talk about how Deem intersects with their practices and puts their work into dialogue with others. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation just as I I enjoyed the first issue of Deem. So I hope that you pick up a copy and enjoy this conversation as well. Remember that Scratching the Surface is made possible because of listeners like you. If you enjoy this show and want to help support it, you can become a member for just $5 a month or $50 a year. Members get an exclusive monthly newsletter written by me as well as previews of the upcoming episodes. If you like Scratching the Surface and want to see it continue, please consider becoming a supporting member. It truly means so much to me. For all the details, you can visit scratchingthesurface.fm slash members. Here is my conversation with Alice Grenois, Nugote, and Marquis Stillwell. The tagline or the the kind of motto for Deem is exploring design as social practice. And I want to start with what will either be the... <laughs> This will either be the easiest question uh, of the conversation or it will be the hardest question of the conversation. I'm not sure. But I want to start with that that phrase, design as social practice. And I want to know what you mean when you say design. <laughs> and I want to know what you mean when you say social practice. Can you start to kind of pick apart those words a little bit and kind of what that means to you? I, I will, how about this? I will start with uh, our framing of design and then either Alice or Marquise can pick up regarding it related to social practice. Uh, so so when, we're, when we're thinking about design, I guess when we started Dean, we really started with a hypothesis, right? Really started with this question, with a, a thought. And the thought was looking at the world of design, usually what ends up happening is that people consider design in terms of outputs of design, right? So whether that's graphic design, industrial design, architecture, right? And all of these outputs of design are tied together by a process, right? And the process that is driven by resourcing and the process that's driven by actually adding value to the end user and figuring out who is um, the end user. And so once we started looking at design from more of a process standpoint, we started realizing that whenever there was design-based conversations happening, 
right? Those design based mm -hmm. conversations would usually be um, between practitioners. And, but the, the actual pool of practitioners was really, really small in which it was usually really, it's mostly men, it's mostly white men, right? But when we're actually talking about design and the process of being able to, to add value, we started realizing that, wait a minute, there's so many other people that contribute to the process of design that don't get the opportunity because they don't have uh, a framework or they don't have a publication or they don't have a platform or they're not an academic that can say, hey, my idea is valuable to be shared with others or my solutions are valuable to be shared with others. And that really starts to hit on the idea that design is based off of fidelity, right? Mm -hmm. So your ability to be able to produce something at a certain level that everyone will deemed to be design, right? So there's like the 10 points from Dieter Rahm that are like, here's what good design is, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. But really when you start looking at good design, quote unquote good design, and seeing it in relationship to fidelity, fidelity is really about resources. Mm. It's about the resources that you have in order to be able to bring your concept to fruition at that level. And those resources could be schooling, could be money, could be being able to have the time and the experience to need it to actually get to that level. And so once we started detaching design from an output, it allowed us to a detach design from fidelity, which is grounded in resources. And we know resources mm -hmm. are are not evenly distributed to everyone, but then it also gave us the opportunity to start to dive into design as a process of adding value. And then it was at that moment that we found a sweet spot to actually be able to have a much more inclusive design-based conversation, a solution-based conversation that can actually operate from the community level and from the ground up as opposed to uh, the top down. That, I mean, I feel like I, I feel like we could have a whole conversation just about everything <laughs> that you just said. I love that. Um, all right, so so let's talk about social practice first, and then we can kind of start to to dig into this a little bit. So, um, really, as New said, we were talking, we were really thinking about design as this universal human activity, um, and and really thinking about the idea that like all human beings participate in design. And so, mm -hmm. for us, really kind of centering design as a social practice. Um, was important because I think it kind of positioned it as an art form in a way where it allowed more people to kind of start to identify with how they may or may not be participating in these processes. So social practice is a form of creative engagement. It's really focused on this idea of human interaction. And so for us, we're kind of thinking a lot about design and how it kind of plays into how people um, kind of coexist with each other. And so centering design as a social practice was really intentional for us because we really wanted to kind of make space for non-traditional designers to identify with the right. field. And also through that, hopefully making the design space a little bit more dynamic by empowering some traditionally marginalized voices um, and thinkers to design the future that we really all want to see. Um, mm -hmm. So that's really kind of what we've been thinking in terms of, of social practice. And I think even when we think most specifically about our our practice within that the super meta moment where it's like we um, through deem utilize dialogue as a design tool essentially to build a more inclusive and dynamic design community yeah i love that i mean i feel like you know one of the things that i loved about 
the issue. And I, I think, I, I think a lot of our goals and our interests in design and how we talk about design are actually very similar, even though we're kind of, you know, maybe approaching them in different ways. And I also see design and this, these conversations as a kind of type of design. Mm -hmm. And I'm also very interested in uh, something I've heard all three of you talk about in other interviews about about the magazine is this idea of kind of democratizing design. And it's really how this conversation started too, about kind of opening it up for more people, uh, that it that design is this kind of inherently human activity. And I'm going to ask you a very selfish question. It's a question I think about all the time. And, and I'm, I'm curious how, how you all think about it is who, you know, when, when you open up design like that, what is the value of that word design? Like, why do we still need to hold on to that word design then? You know what I mean? If it is this thing that is kind of a part of everything and, and that everyone does it, is there value in defining that? So that's, that's question A. And then the kind of sub question is, as you're talking about having these discussions, not just between designer and designer, but opening that up to people who are often left out of that, how do you think about you know, kind of bringing them into this conversation about design when design might not be a word that they think is, you know, what they're actually doing. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah. I, I think that for us, I don't know if we're necessarily always hanging on to the word design as much as we're really okay. trying to utilize it as a space for empowerment, um, mm. kind of uh, sharing language with others to kind of help them mm. not really help anybody. I don't want to have that kind of approach really right. to open up the, to to help people kind of feel more empowered with the language around some of the words and some of the work and processes that they're kind of already putting into place in their in their daily lives. I would say um, is at least my perspective. Yeah, I mean, I guess I would add that design of the word itself is is not so much for me the the problem. It's it's that the evidence of the process has never actually um, been mm. supported um, by a larger group. And so when you think about the building of this country, uh, the United States of America, um, the, the evidence of the people who actually built this country isn't built into the fabric of cities, of roads, um, right. of education, and all the things that uh, people of color were very, very much a part of. And that's the process. That, that's the problem, um, and we've gotten so away, so far away from understanding the process. You can talk about any different subject. Um, food is another good example. Mm -hmm. um, you know, not a lot of people, particularly the kids, know where their food comes from. They don't know the process for which, when they're sitting there eating a sandwich, of how that sandwich came together. So, if you right. don't understand where it came from, you're not going to respect it. And you're going to waste it. You're going to treat the environment in a certain way. And so what we're doing is really going back to building the evidence of the process and not relying on just the outcome as a way of, of, of measuring the value of what design is. It's, it's interesting to me. And I think, I, I think you're exactly right. And especially kind of talking about the development of of this country and and kind of how that has shaped um, how that process has kind of been erased in some ways and something that comes up on the podcast a lot is this idea that design is um, 
ideology made artifact. It's kind of taking these point of views, biases, uh, ways of seeing the world and making them concrete through the development of, you know, posters or, or symbols or, or graphics, but also roads and buildings. And so when you see a road that, you know, cuts through a neighborhood, that was a design decision uh, based on some kind of ideology. And what's interesting to me about what you're all doing, and I, I hope this question makes sense, and I hope I can phrase it in the right way, is that you're kind of flipping that in a way. And, and I sense such an optimism around design and what design can do. And when we're talking about marginalized communities, people who are not often part of the conversation, some of that is by design, you know, and that you're kind of flipping that and saying, hey, this thing that has separated us, that has left people out is also the thing that can bring them back into the conversation. Uh, How do you think about that? Yeah, I, I think from my perspective that, I mean, so Part of my background was I went to grad school at Parsons for a degree called Strategic Design and Management, um, Mm -hmm. human-centered design. And in that, like, process of going through the program, I would often find myself being, yeah, the only Black person in my class. And we would be talking about, like, systems design, future thinking, like, how the automotive industry is changing. And it would dawn on me that all of these all of these things that we're talking about, all of these concepts that seem very far out are being designed and created now, right? right but right. That, that room of the people who are actually there and designing it and considering um, who's going to be the end user isn't a diverse room. And at that moment, mm-hmm. I realized like, wow, actually it would be in everyone's best interest if we can start actually breaking down the walls of these rooms and bringing the end user much closer to the process. But then in, in that, right, a lot of what I started to realize is that, oh, these frameworks and the names for these things, like really what I learned was a new vocabulary around things and processes that I've already done or I've seen my parents do. And it's kind of, it's, it's a innate process that is, like Al said, is a human process that a lot of us share, but we just didn't have the terminology or the right platform to be able to share it um, in a way that would be deemed valuable. Um, and so for for us, yeah, there is a strong optimism in design and there is a value to being able to share how design can be used at a community level. And, and a lot of times, like, like you said earlier, like we don't always go in and say, "Hey, this is design." Like usually, it's like you know, it's 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 like having very tangible conversations, being able to facilitate workshops with people that by the end of it, they didn't even realize that oh, I was designing this or this thing I was doing was designed. And I think one of the most beautiful things about um, issue one, design for dignity, is that the people who we chose to highlight don't always identify themselves as traditional designers. Right. Yeah. And, and that and that was by design. That was um, by purpose. So, I mean, let's talk about that because that's what really kind of surprised me and fascinated me. And it's one of the things that really drew me into the first issue is that it was such a range of people, both the people themselves, but also, you know, how they would define themselves and the type of work that they do. And I'm, I'm so curious about the kind of editorial strategy and how you think about audience for 
a publication like this that's using words that we know, like design and social practice and and things like that, but is really expanding what we mean when we say that. How, how do you even think about who this magazine is for? And then, you know, what is a deem story? Yeah. Well, let, let me even back up and then I'll definitely, Alice and you chime in on, on answering that question. But I just want to also make sure we're framing up um, appropriately when we talk about design and designers. Uh, you know, a really good example of that, particularly for people of color, is when you just throw out what does it mean to be American, right? Mm. And so, am I American? Am I not American? If you're a person of color and you witness the things that we just saw on TV the other day, and we're constantly seeing when it comes to police brutality, um, do we have the same rights as everyone else? Are we, be, are we treated as Americans? So if you look at it at even a micro level of a designer, why should I take on this word that has never welcomed me in, has right. always created frameworks to keep me out? And then even the designers that are, quote, designers and architects have never actually stepped up to the responsibility of the work that they've done right. to actually right. change my neighborhood, to actually cause right. a lot of the problems. And so they get to hide behind their process and never fully be accountable for the work they've done, while also excluding me from mm -hmm. that practice. So even myself, I do consider my, myself a designer. I do consider myself an American. Is it always in perpetual question of what that actually means and how I am able to step into that? Absolutely. Every day. And so mm -hmm. the, the word, this ideal of designing for dignity was really a question. Right? Who gets to define dignity? What is dignity? Dignity. Right. What does that all mean? And and the it, the individuals that are in the journal are constantly asking these different questions. So for for me personally, I'm always interested in asking better questions versus just providing sound bites of answers. I'm not I'm not interested in right. trying to prove answers of what's wrong. I want to. We we're going to get better by asking better questions. Right. Exactly. So, Alice knew. Um, in terms of the editorial framework, um, we have two platforms in which we publish. Um, we have our digital platform, deemjournal.com, where we kind of are a little bit um, less thematic. Uh, mm -hmm. We're yeah. kind of really focused on individuals' practices. And I think for print, we're really a little bit more hyper thematic. And in terms of the lens in which we use to kind of narrow down the work, we're really kind of interested in this question, no matter what the theme is, it's like, who is creating the conditions of possibility in relationship right. to whatever theme it is that we're exploring. And in addition to that, um, we're also very much interested in kind of holding space to bring together both academic and non-academic design contexts um, in a way in which we can kind of start to see how both things that are happening within the institution are also happening within the community have these really either interesting parallels or might actually be in opposition to each other, um, really kind of leaving space for the reader to decide. To to decide. Um, but really, generally, what we're thinking about, whether it's somebody that might be kind of thinking about design within an academic context or not, um, we're interested in people that really have what we call community-engaged creative practice in some capacity. And so when we think about the, the audience, we kind of, kind of regularly think about DEEM as a, a platform that's for everyone active in the daily practice of social transformation. Mm. I'm 
interested in the the kind of object itself of the printed publication and it's a it's a gorgeous publication and and you know obviously it's like printed on nice paper it's really uh, uh you know visually engaging it's thick it's you know hundreds of pages and and as i was reading i was just kind of like struck by this somewhat disconnect to be honest between these ideas that you're talking about and then this really kind of glossy you know magazine and in another interview marquise i saw that you kind of were talking about doing a physical magazine as as an inherently political act and i think this connects back to what you were just talking about um in that that this magazine by making it this way gives physical evidence to these stories that otherwise you know don't get to be seen in print can you talk more about that and kind of your thinking behind that yeah absolutely um I mean, if you look at, again, some of the challenges that we're facing and even the dialogue in regards to the way that we've built evidence um, in this country, whether it's through statue of monuments or museums, um, it's constantly put in front of our face. Uh, And so I really believe that it's important that, particularly when we're living in a digital age, that there's both a digital form of the evidence, which is great, um, but there's a physical form. There's something mm. that's tangible that you know will not change, right? If you go to your Instagram right, right now, every few moments you refresh, it totally changes. Right. You can't even go back and find that story or something that you wanted unless <laughs> yeah, you remembered yeah. exactly who posted it. Um, right. With the journal, it's right there. It's not going to change. You flip the page, it's going to be right there. And there's something really important around the tangibility and the evidence of that that's consistent with the way that we want people to also digest the content, that they can sit with it. This isn't a soundbite, flashy you know, journal where we just have small stories. These are stories also building on extended evidence of dialogue with the people that we're speaking with. And so mm-hmm. that was something that we felt was really important um, that we built into the process. Yeah, and I, I would add, um, especially to your point about just in terms of the quality of the publication, and it sometimes seeming like it's disjointed uh, from like our con. Well, not I guess that wasn't what you said, but basically it, it was intentional for us to make sure that we were building a platform that was of a high fidelity, that was of a high right. quality. Because on on one end, um, a lot of the terms that we're using and a lot of the concepts that we're like you know embarking on can be a bit academic and can be a bit heady and can be a bit jargony. So our approach was okay. Well, how are we going to actually attract people to this publication, right? It's, mm-hmm. And and if mm-hmm. and if we just came across overly academic, like we felt like we wouldn't be able to actually reach the scale that we wanted to to reach, right? Being able to reach people who may not solely identify as as designers. So we didn't want this to fall just in terms of like a trade publication. Right. So right. being able to create an artifact that is engaging, that is exciting, that uses you know, like that smartly uses typefaces, that uses color, that uses vibrant photography was mm-hmm. um, was a pr- approach and was a purposeful juxtaposition to be able to create the platform that will allow um, a narrative that may not have been seen as designed to also be held up 
uh, against the, the best design framework possible because we're also providing that within this platform as like the platform is the vehicle for that. Right. That Yeah, that's really interesting, actually. And Alice, I'd like I, I would love to hear kind of your thoughts on that from like the editorial side too, because, you know, new now that you say that, and I, I, I didn't even realize as I was reading it, but because, because it is so readable and it is, it is very conversational. I almost didn't even realize kind of how academic and heady it can sometimes be. And, and Alice, I would love to hear how you think about, you know, kind of, I, I, I hope I'm not, asking this reductively, but kind of taking these big ideas and, you know, what was that process like to think about how can we talk about these things in a way that isn't just the usual academic jargon conversation that happens? Well, I would say that um, on the editorial side, we work with an editor, Isabel Flower, who, um, you know, as we were constantly thinking about questions or even thinking about the content, we constantly had to kind of remove ourselves from mm-hmm. thinking or really kind of take a, a few steps back and understand that like whoever might be reading this publication might actually be working in design or might not be working in design and really kind of making sure that the language felt accessible. So we don't come with any preconceived notions that everybody might understand some of the kind of more complex or nuanced stories that we want to tell. So we kind of always make sure that there is a framing that this could be the first time that someone is thinking about these concepts or issues and how do we make it inviting um, and not something that is kind of going to, yeah, turn somebody away or, or feel inaccessible, which is also one of the things that we think about a lot when we think about design publications or design conversations in a way, you know, we're kind of, we, a lot of us are coded with language that we use, but then that yeah. kind of means that we're only speaking to, to ourselves, essentially. Right. And so really for us, we were trying to make sure, or we're constantly trying to make sure that the lens through which we kind of cover a lot of the stories feels accessible to anyone. Yeah, I mean, and, and just just to to be honest, I'm a, I'm asking that question somewhat selfishly because I'm I also you know notice myself you know using certain words or certain terms, and and this is a podcast that I I also hope is kind of democratizing design in some way, but it also is you know mostly talking to other designers, and and I'm so I'm kind of constantly thinking about that, and I was I feel like you did a good job, which is kind of why I was asking. One of my favorite. Um, favorite stories in the first issue was your interview with Milton Curry at the end, the Dean of um, Architecture at USC. And what I liked about that is I felt like that was a very meta conversation. (laughs) I felt felt like, like you were kind of talking to him about the questions that you were thinking about and putting together that first issue. Mm -hmm. And you ask him specifically the role of publishing in his practice. And he talks about publishing as being a way to, uh, I I believe the specific phrase he used was engaging broad constituencies, which has really come up again and again in this conversation that we're having. And I, my sense is, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, and um, New and Alice, you can go first, but that this journal and this first issue especially is a way to kind of have a conversation about the work that you are doing independently, the, the, the kind of other design work that you're doing to kind of start thinking about these ideas with more people. Um, a, does that sound right to you? And B, how do you think about kind of extending these conversations and kind of taking this work that you're thinking about and, and opening up that conversation? I, I think everything starts 
with questions. So as yeah, much yeah. as as much as we're creating a, a platform, like the platform also really comes down to us exploring, right? And not only being the teachers, but constantly being the students. And like Marquise was right. saying, it's about asking the right questions. So even like we said, designing for dignity is a question, right? Like right. We, we we did we didn't set off we didn't set out to solve the problem of dignity. We we didn't set out to say, right. hey, we, we know what dignity is. What we really did was like, okay, well, we have this question that we're really interested in. There's three ways that we want to like approach it. Let's gather some great diverse thinkers to help us collectively move closer to something that makes sense. And even if we don't land at right. the end, that's why there's not this like wrap up at the end that says, here are the bullet points. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. There isn't that. And so I think you hit the nail right on the head. It, it is the dialogue. It, it, it is the conversations that Alice and Marquise and I are having constantly and then really allowing us to build a platform that starts to bring in other people to have that conversation. But then the most beautiful thing that has happened that now that it's out, now that conversation has expanded, right? Because now there's more people with more questions, more point of view. And even if you like look at our social, what we try to do is use social as a community platform to bring in more people. So we ask prompts that are based within things that we're thinking about in real time or things that we're, we're approaching and we start to just get feedback from people. Um, and really that's where, I guess that that's how we try to set up the publication and not only come across as experts and we try to stay away right. from coming across as experts, but more just um, more inquisitive, more inviting and trying to find opportunities to bring in more people into this conversation. Yeah, I mean that's int- I I agree with you. I think that's that's exactly right, and I think that's how it, how the the publication comes across. I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna just like ask the question in a more specific way. I think because now hearing you talk about that <laughs> kind of helped me ask the question that that I was trying to ask. Um, so you know, Alice and and New, you have a studio together called Room for Magic, which um, you know where you're kind of thinking about you know brands and collaboration and, and, you know, these kind of social ideas in real world context, working with clients and other people. And I'm, I'm guess I'm kind of interested in the overlap between Deem and Room for Magic. And then, you know, after Marquise, I want to kind of talk to you about the relationship between uh, Openbox and, and Deem, but how kind of things that are happening in the studio uh, you know, questions that you're asking in the studio become questions in the publication or questions that arise in the publication then kind of come back to the studio. And like, what's that conversation like? I think that there, I mean, there are definitely, it's it's kind of become a beautiful harmony at times, but it feels, um, the other day, actually, I think Nu and I were talking about a, an opportunity and um speaking opportunity for one of us and he had spoken he he had told me that oh my god we like need to be able to show from from the studio side our what are the outputs of our work with our clients and um it was a it was a funny moment because i i i was pretty in a confident tone just told him we don't need any i was like we have an output i was like our output is is deem it's kind of a, right. a big part of what influences all of us and the things that we're kind of actively researching and listening to and i think it's really what's been kind of awesome is i think deem has really helped us feel more comfortable as designers that work within with, that work within kind of marketing and advertising context hmm. times to be 
oh, all right with the fact that <laughs> what we do is process-based work. So right. while you're asking us for like some sort of tangible output, we're like, yeah, we we don't have a tangible output for some, a lot of the projects that we work on in the studio side because we're really kind of facilitators for processes um, with clients. So, you know, their outputs usually actually they're they're usually responsible for the output. And for us, <laughs> our responsibility in terms of output is really is really deemed. So in a way, I've kind of seen it's been really awesome to see how that started to influence the way that we work, because also just a lot of our background does come from the brand and advertising side where everything is very much output driven. And so it's been really nice to kind of have that shift, I think, over the past year um, and really kind of helping ourselves and clients become comfortable with the fact that a lot of the work that we do is process based. Yeah. Which is also like just kind of hilarious since we started the conversation saying that, you know, too much of design is talking about the output. So we need to go back to the process and that, that that's actually still a question that you're dealing with yourself. All the time. I think it's great. I mean, yeah. All of the time. Yeah. And I would, I would add to that selfishly from the Room for Magic side, the things that we're interested in Room for Magic that we're, we're like, maybe a client isn't asking us about hyperlocal food systems, but man, we're really interested in hyperlocal <laughs> food systems. So that is what we're exploring in, in Deem. And to Alice's point, what usually ends up happening is that someone's like, oh, I read Deem and, you know, I was really interested in this piece you did on hyperlocal food system. And then voila, a project comes about that is related right. to, to that. So um, I think the both both of them are are pretty much joined and pretty sim- symbiotic um, at this point. Marquise, can you talk about that in kind of relationship to your studio open box and how you see Deem either as an extension of that or or as a kind of relationship to that? Yeah, I, the work that we we do as a design firm focusing on you know, people-centered design as a, as a framework for how we engage with communities um, and through that really opening up um, the opportunities for those voices to be a part of any of the design outcomes, whether that is a built environment when we're working with architects and developers or it's service or programming when we're working with cultural mm-hmm. centers um, as well as cities as well. And so everything that we do through the process of engaging voices is very much aligned with how we're doing similarly with Deem Journal. Uh, I also touch um, film because I have a film company as well. And Petter, who's my business partner on that side, he and I always talk about that in regards to our work, that, you know, the, the, outcome of the dialogue that we were having through the use of film, particularly documentary film, is similar to ethnography. Uh, It's what we're doing. So spending, you know, almost three and a half years in South Africa with a film called Shield and Spear, and we just released the film, The New Bauhaus, and spent the same amount of time back and forth in Germany and Chicago, uh, was our process of continuing to ask better questions and building on that dialogue. And then through that, the display, the final display of that in a documentary film is just one piece of the work that we've been doing. Uh, and in a documentary, you're limited. Obviously, this is a five-part series film, but the work always continues and in dialogue and talks like this on podcasts and writings and it definitely comes full circle back into our work 
um, whether it's with Team Journal or back into the studio. And so I've always um, focused on building what I call a circular economy within our own system of design um, and having um, the journal, having a design studio, having a film company, um, doing a lot of work on the venture side as well. I think it's really important that everything you know, works together, um, even though it may not always seem <laughs> like it's to the same puzzle. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad that you brought up the the film side too, because there was a question that I that I had for you that I was thinking about in in kind of preparing for this and thinking about you know the earlier part of our conversation, talking about the value of making this a printed piece, uh, but then also having a digital component, and then you're somebody who's also uh, you know, working on films. And I hesitate asking this, especially since we spent so much time talking about the importance of process instead of output, but um, d- uh, how you think about kind of working across different media and how those different mediums can, you know, influence the process and and change the output itself. Like, how do you actually see those connected of moving from a printed piece to a film to, you know, kind of yeah. other design work? I mean, it, what's similar um, is really the editing process and our editing process, you know, with the documentary film, a film comes together in the editing room. It's, it's not um, like a narrative feature where, you know, the director is pulling it together as it's being made. It's really the editor. Uh, and for us, being able to go back into the dialogues that we've had through the you know, course of three and a half years um, is an amazing process. And, you know, the research that we do um, in the front, uh, we prototype um, as well. Um, if you get a chance to see the new Bauhaus film and understanding who Maholdi Naj was, you can see a lot of that process of design built into how we actually um, produce the film. And that's similar to what New was saying earlier in regards to the integrity of the journal and what you touch and see has to be self-evident in the process of design as well so that you can see it. You can close your eyes and see and touch and feel that someone put a lot of thought into this. I'm curious what's next. You're working on the second issue. Can you give us a preview of of what that might look like kind of what what issues you're thinking about what are the what are the big topics that you're kind of thinking about now that you you want to explore in either the next issue or even in future issues <laughs> it is like i wonder if someone else is going to take this question no um, way we're not stepping on that landmine <laughs> uh-oh I'm nervous about it. I'm yeah, nervous of what think, I've just stepped um, into. There are a variety of topics that we are constantly thinking about and will all hopefully make their way into future publications. At the moment, we're not really disclosing kind of what the next issue is yet, but it is definitely we are actively okay. in the works of it and are hoping to be able to share it with the world um, towards the end of this calendar year. Um job you know job willing um yeah and we hope to kind of be able to speak with you about that during when it when it comes out (laughs) right now yeah (laughs) and so and so we're i i was taking notes because i've been asked this question when alice isn't around and i'm just not as i'm just not as agile 
as she, as she is when when answering it. I'll be like, this is exactly what we're talking about now, and it's coming out in two weeks. And I was like, please, Alice, I hope Alice doesn't hear this. So, yeah, that's just the context of why we're laughing about yeah. it. Well, I mean, I mean, that's I look, I ask a question, a version of that question in almost all of these, just like, what do you think about now? And no one's ever just said, I'm not going to tell you right now. <laughs> and so I kind of like, like, I'm tempted to kind of like press you a little bit, but I, I maybe we'll just leave it at that. Um, my last question, which hopefully you will, <laughs> you will answer for me. Uh, I just, I want to know what all of you are reading right now. Um, Alice, do you want to go first? Oh, yes. Um, Many things, too many things simultaneously. As um, always. Yes. But I am currently reading the book um, Design Justice, mm. um, which is written by Sasha Constanza Chalk. And I'm very fascinated with the way that she kind of frames up design and talks a lot about how design is very much inherently about communities and um, right. very much thinking about community-led practices um, within a design context. And it's been quite inspirational for me um, throughout this summer. Nice. New, what about you? Yeah, I'm reading the Aesthetics of Equity, Notes on Race, Space, Architecture, and Music by Carl L. Wilkins. And I am just starting it now. Um, and I got, I guess it got recommended to me by somebody who I met recently, because I'm really interested in looking at the space of design from a non-Eurocentric view and seeing design from many different perspectives, whether it be from the African diaspora, from the Asian diaspora, and what starts to happen when you pretty much decolonize design. And so that's a lot of the literature that I've been consuming recently. Yeah, that was just recommended to me too. I I haven't picked it up yet. I need to. It sounds great. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, Marquise, um, I'm currently reading Bell Hooks' um, Art on My Mind, mm -hmm. um, and I've been really exploring um, art and you know visual politics. And so she, I'm not sure if you're familiar. I hope you are familiar mm -hmm. with Bell yeah. Hooks. Okay. Um, amazing tough read really good very very heavy um but um really enjoying particularly as we're um you know obviously we continue to talk about evidence um, and also this understanding of matter whether it's black lives matter or any other matter i think sometimes we focus on the verb side of that this idea of substance versus actual physical matter and what that actually does to the senses when we see it um, in physical form. And so just kind of reading that and exploring what that means during this period of time. Great. I love how all of you just had books ready to go too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, like, that's not always how that question goes. Uh, that was great. Those are all such great suggestions too. Um, Thank you so much for being on the show. I really loved the first issue. I really enjoyed this conversation. I think you're doing really interesting work and really approaching it in a great way. Um, and so I just really appreciate what you're doing and, and this conversation. Thanks, uh, thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks for having Thank us. You. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. We really enjoyed this.
This episode was recorded on August 25th, 2020. Our theme music is by Andy Borgasani. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Surface Podcast. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts and at scratchingthesurface.fm. Thanks for listening.